and letitmike.com supporting the New Zealand Mac community. Hi there, this is Philip Roy, owner-operator of nzmac.com. Welcome to Podcast 25, which is an audio version of a commentary I'll be posting shortly on both nzmac.com and the nziphone.com websites. The commentary is entitled Evolution of the iPhone and relates to the newly announced iPhone OS 3.0 beta. It seems strange to view a presentation suggesting cut-and-paste or MMS, multimedia messaging, will only appear after two years and in the third iteration of a smartphone's operating system. But it shows that whilst the speed that Apple might work at with regards iPhone development might be questioned, the meticulousness of their approach cannot. Apple isn't a company that tends to rush with the development of new features as much as others might. Instead, each version of a piece of software sees refinement and increased functionality that we all want, and that sometimes we've waited for. The iPhone 3.0 operating system beta is no exception. There are aspects to the new software that have been announced that we feel like we've been waiting for forever. But at the same time, there are aspects to it that only Apple could do. And if you're one of those fortunate to own an iPhone or iPod Touch, you can't wait to see the new OS arrive in the coming months. In the past, I've been quite critical of revisions of Apple's main OS X operating system that haven't been as significant as I thought they would. See my review of the Tiger operating system, for example, entitled Tiger, More O Than Wow. But with the forthcoming release of the Snow Leopard operating system, it's clear that sometimes sitting back and just making what you've got already work better isn't too bad an approach. But that's not to suggest that this is what is happening with the iPhone 3.0 operating system. It's not just about fixing what was there already. Instead, while some aspects of the operating system have been refined and revisited, new aspects to it are going to be exceptionally welcome. From the developer point of view, access to over a thousand new APIs will see the ability to add in functionality that previously hadn't been on hand for developers. This means, for example, that the mail functionality, access to maps or even the iPod music files themselves will all be features that can be included and will enhance applications for the benefit of all. And from a user point of view, this will also mean less hassle. For example, I have a fun, free application on my iPhone for pretending I'm a DJ, and I can do some scratching with it. The reason I have it installed is simply to show off the touch screen in an amusing and, well, slightly tacky way. At the moment, though, if I want to play some music with it in the background, I have to go into the iPod section of my iPhone, get a song playing, and then launch the DJ application. If I want to change that track, I exit out of the application, go back to the iPod section, change the track there, and then go back to the DJ app and launch it again. Imagine if I can simply select one of my own songs from within the DJ application. It's so much easier, and it makes much more sense. This extends to things such as the ability for applications to make use of Google Maps within their own apps meaning that developers don't have to license access to this information themselves. Developers are effectively being given the opportunity to interact with core functionality as opposed to core applications. Of course, you need to keep in mind that there are some limitations, such as Google not agreeing to a blanket license for their maps for anyone wanting to develop turn-by-turn GPS functionality. 
but that's completely understandable in my book. From the user point of view, the changes are both impressive, subtle and exceptionally useful. The iLounge.com website has a very useful guide to the changes within the iPhone 3.0 beta. Of course, I think we can all imagine that some features Apple intend to put into 3.0 have been held back. And there is a lot of speculation that as June will be the second anniversary of the release of the first iPhone, and that as around that time a lot of two-year AT&T iPhone contracts will be expiring in the States, we're likely to see a new version of the iPhone released around that time to encourage users to pony up for a new toy. To me, this is kind of confirmed by a Mac NN story today where AT&T are signalling that the iPhones will now be available contract-free. Why do this unless you're about to be faced with a new model that you can get customers to buy and get back onto a two-year contract? So let's take a look at the revisions from the user's point of view, working our way through the iLounge.com rundown. Firstly, the home screen of the iPhone sees subtle changes. Perhaps the most notable difference being a screen off to the left of the home screen, represented by a small magnifying glass. This is Spotlight, and it ties in with the concept on a Mac of an overall search engine for the phone. In iPhone 3.0, it isn't perfect and doesn't search everything, but it does search a lot, including your online email stored on a server if you want it to. One of those this-had-to-happen-sometime changes we've been waiting for is the addition of the landscape keyboard for all applications. This has been something that I felt was more about someone deciding that it wasn't needed in some applications than it being a technical challenge. It's meant an inconsistent approach between apps, and the change fixes this rather than radically changes the way in which users can interact with the phone. Probably the most publicised feature is the inclusion of cut, copy and paste in OS 3.0. This has been something that many users have been quite critical of since the inception of the iPhone. Personally, I confess that I don't miss it, but I have to back that comment up with the fact that I don't tend to use the iPhone for emailing and note-taking that often, unless I'm well away from a computer, and that's usually not the case. I have no doubt that for others it will be a godsend. The implementation of the cut, copy and paste process is interesting. You might like to check out on the Vimeo site for a proof of concept video posted by Lonely Sandwich some time back about his idea for the implementation of this process. The video, which can be located at vimeo.com forward slash 266383, begins in a slightly creepy way as he superimposed his mouth onto the head of the traditional Apple presenter in an iPhone tutorial. Nonetheless, it is interesting to compare his ideas with what is eventuated. One exceptionally welcome addition for me will also be the introduction of a voice memo application as standard. Whilst there are already some superb free and commercial apps that do this for the iPhone, I like the look of the new application. And at the same time, it has been made clear that access to some hardware APIs might mean that we see an an interview microphone being developed, for example, that plugs into the charger slot at the base of the iPhone, making this an exceptionally useful device. Early indications are that the voice memo recorder will continue to function even if you move away from the application, as well as there being some rudimentary trimming features. 
Andy Anatko took the idea further, stating that he hoped that functionality to publish these recordings quickly as podcasts or to websites might also be developed by a company. The Bluetooth chip inside both the iPhone 3G and second-generation iPod Touch finally comes of age, with the use of the chip not being as restricted as it had in the past. Contacts and the display of the records of calls has been improved, as too have other features, such as the stock widget or the App Store application, which has seen its interface refined. There are also numerous setting options available in the forthcoming version that haven't been available previously. There's a lot of discussion on the internet about internet tethering, which effectively turns your iPhone into a modem or the device which you use to connect other devices such as a laptop to the internet. You'll be able to connect via a USB cable that plugs into the existing cable port at the base of the iPhone or via Bluetooth. The latter approach allows you to share the phone with more than one device but will place a lot of demand on the iPhone. Other notable features announced include the ability to purchase items from within applications. One of the demos of this on the day both impressed and concerned users around the world. The demo featured a game under development by NG Moco. You can see an impressive demo of the game on their website or see the clip at vimeo.com forward slash 3755535. What some have now expressed concern about was that the demo showed the ability to purchase additional weapons for use within the first-person shooter, with these purchases being managed by the iTunes Store delivery system. While such functionality is incredibly impressive, there is concern that it might see a slew of applications with limited features until users agree or are encouraged to spend more and more money within the application itself. I hope this isn't the case, although this and the notion of subscription services or being able to purchase more levels for games is a valid business decision, I feel. Push notifications will finally be coming to the iPhone, but not without some compromise in the form of, according to iLounge.com, a 20% increased drain on battery life of the iPhone. However, the examples shown in the iPhone announcement by Apple and others were impressive. So what was missing from the announcement, or is missing from the new OS? Obviously, the biggest disappointment, although there wasn't any solid speculation or reliable sources indicating this would happen, was that there was no new hardware announced on the day. Although many pundits, myself included, believe there will be a revised version of the iPhone around the time that iPhone OS 3.0 finally ships. The biggest disappointment for me continues to be the lack of flash functionality on the iPhone. This isn't for dealing with flash on a web page or being able to play flash games, but because the university I work for has invested in an impressive web conferencing system that is flash based. Being able to be involved in web conferences via the iPhone would be rather cool. I still also want to know if I can customise text message sounds away from the default sounds available, and it's disappointing to see no native video recording option, but perhaps that will come in version 4.0. Keep in mind also that I have no doubt that Apple will spring some surprises on everyone on the day of the launch of the OS, particularly given that the presentation didn't really directly talk to the enterprise market that much on what could be expected in this next version. Ars Technica mentioned this in an article that runs down a list of what they feel continues to be missing, and they comment on the fact that Exchange servers didn't appear to be mentioned much at all. 
probably the best news, looking at the overall announcement, was that there wasn't anything staggeringly surprising or controversial. There was, and has been, no real criticism of the plan Apple has put in place. It shows that the iPhone OS continues to mature, and that developers already enthusiastic about this platform have more reason to be so in the coming months. I'm enthusiastic because it's so great to learn that the OS upgrade will be free for iPhone users like me, but I feel a minor twinge of guilt for iPod Touch users. But it leads me to think, wouldn't it be lovely if Snow Leopard, the forthcoming version of Mac OS X, and an operating system that Apple have proudly stated includes zero new features, was free, or just a minor upgrade? Somehow, I can't see that happening. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest presenter and do not necessarily represent those of NZMac.com.